Welcome, everybody. Can you guys hear me okay? The mic's on, everything. Jared says, so good, so good. Awesome, well, welcome. If I haven't met you, I am John Reynolds. I'm one of the pastors here before. We are really glad that you guys are here tonight. Um, if you're in the back and you wouldn't mind, there's like some empty seats over here. You can come sit up here and that would be awesome. So I encourage you guys, Kayla and Caleb and everybody in the back maybe, to come and sit up front if you want. Look, Josh is being a great example, everything. Oh, look at that. Zach is being stubborn, but that's okay. We'll let him be stubborn. Uh, yeah, that's good. Well, welcome. Tonight we are launching our new series that we're calling Truth in Love. And um, this is really almost an apologetic series. And we'll tell you more about what apologetics is and things like that as the week goes on. But essentially, we're going to be starting to look at what does it mean for us to speak the truth in love, and what topics does that apply to? So some of the things we're going to be talking about tonight, we're talking about truth. What is it? Does it exist? Can we know it? Next week, we're going to be talking about does God exist? Great week. If you have somebody that is like, I'm not really sure yet about where I stand, what I believe, bring them next week. The week after that, we're talking about the Bible. Can we actually trust it? Is what we hold in our hands actually what was written down by the original authors, and can we trust and know that? Um, the week after that, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus, why that matters. Then we're jumping into topics that really apply to our life and our culture right now. Sucks, sucks, nope, not sucks. Such as sex and porn. We're gonna be talking about gender and identity. We're gonna be talking about singleness. We're gonna be talking about marriage, dating, grace, and redemption. What does that look like? How do we think about these things through a biblical lens? So that's kind of where we're going. And kind of our key passage for this series comes from Ephesians, really um, Ephesians 4.15. And Paul says this, when he's talking about, the context here is how God has gifted the church with different people, different abilities, so that the church can be built up, so that you, the saints of the church, can do the work of ministry. And so then when that happens, and the building up process, he says this, speaking the truth in love, then we are able to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Meaning we are starting to be conformed more and more and more into the image of Christ as we start to utilize our gifts, as we start to understand the truth, as we speak the truth in love to one another and to the world around us. And so when we think about truth and we think about all these topics that we just talked about, how we talk about these things really matters. We are called to speak with love at all times. At Cascade here for our leadership and our culture of leadership, we talk about this phrase. We say that we love first, lead second, but always do both. That means when we're thinking about topics and how we're addressing things, we're gonna choose to love well but we're also going to choose to speak the truth, to lead as well. And we're going to do both of those things. We're not just going to end up on the, hey, the nice side, love side without truth. It's going to be a balance of truth and love. And so it's 
In that mindset that we're approaching this series, Paul says this in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He says this, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So when we're thinking about how we're talking about these topics, we're to do that in a way that reflects God's heart for us. And what we often see is when you think about your own story and what made you turn and accept Jesus, often it's an understanding of God's incredible kindness to you, his grace to you, his love for you, though you don't deserve it, right? And so when we're speaking about these things, are we embodying that same um, mentality and idea? So our goal is for people to come to know Jesus, to trust him as their savior, not just for us to be right in these conversations. And when we think about what we're talking about, truth or um, sex and identity and gender and all those things in our culture, many people are just arguing to be right. And there is some value in that, but if we don't have the goal of pointing people to Jesus, of doing that in love, we're significantly missing what the call of the gospel is on our lives. And so what what we're going to be seeking to do is how do we do that well through this series? Jesus makes this pretty bold statement in John 14, and he says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In this statement, Jesus is making a bold claim, an exclusive claim about the way to real life and the way to salvation and redemption. And so we're going to start to examine tonight Can we actually even think about a claim like that in a way that makes sense? What does that look like in our world today? Because a lot of people argue that truth doesn't actually exist. And so we're going to ask the question, does truth actually exist? And if it does exist, can we actually know what that truth is? Have you ever asked that question? Has anybody ever asked you, like, does truth actually exist? Have you ever heard that maybe in a class that you've taken or in conversations with somebody? They're like, I don't even know if truth actually is real. Like, and maybe it's out there, but can we actually know that? Anybody ever feel like that? Yeah, most of you guys have done that. We're going to ask and think about questions in this series like, you know, could you really be an animal? That's what people are saying these days. Can you be an animal? If you are... 21, can you be a six-year-old? If you are a grown man, can you be a little girl, right? And we might laugh at this. If all of your limbs work, can you be a paraplegic? These are questions that our culture is wrestling with in significant ways and has no way of handling how to address whether or not you can answer these questions Uh, in an absolute way. And so I'm going to start us off by looking at a number of video clips um, that are asking these questions. And how many of you guys have heard of the Family Policy Institute of Washington? Okay, great. So you probably not have seen this video. Uh, So there's a couple of video clips. This is a guy named Joseph Backholm, um, guy that was here at Cascade for a while, is now doing stuff on a national level. He goes down to two colleges in Seattle and just starts asking questions about this. And then you're going to see some other clips that are people dealing with these questions about truth. And that'll lead us into the rest of our time tonight. Sound good? Okay. Does truth matter? I think the answer is yes. 
I would argue that false ideas about things that are true lead to false ideas about life, and false ideas have significant consequences on the church, on our culture, and the next generations. And what you just saw was a whole bunch of people, a bunch who are local to you and I, who do not have a way to ground any of their thoughts about life and meaning and significance and gender and identity and species or anything, and they're struggling. So are we all in that same place? And can you articulate why that's not the case? So tonight, I'm hoping to give you some tools to be able to do that. I would just say a bunch of what I'm gonna share, I have stolen from other people who are smarter than I have. I've just read a lot about it. So um, you can ask me for resources and I can give you some of that stuff. And maybe you've heard some of this and great, maybe some of that'll be a little bit of repeat. But let's start thinking about truth. Blaise Pascal said this many years ago, ago. He said, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. Meaning what I like is what I think is true. How much does that sum up our culture right now and what you just saw in that video? Winston Churchill said this. He said, men occasionally stumble over the truth but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had ever happened. Meaning sometimes the truth is very inconvenient for us, and so we want to ignore it and just move on. What we're talking about in this course and this uh, set of series is really all about worldview. And worldview is really the way that we think about life. Worldview answers the question of our origin. Where did we come from? Uh, it answers the question of our identity. Who are we? It answers the question of why are we here or our meaning. It answers the question of morality. How should we live our lives? It answers the question of our destiny. Where are we going? And worldview determines how each of you will spend your life, the jobs you'll pursue, the relationships you'll get into or get out of, whether or not you're going to have kids or try to have kids. It's a roadmap in which you will use to guide yourself through your life. And um, it's really important to figure out what is true about the world around us so that we can shape our worldview to the right things. Does that kind of make sense? How many of you guys have heard the term worldview before? Most of you guys. Awesome. Look at you. You're awesome. Okay. We're good. Okay. So we're going to ask some key questions about truth tonight. What is truth? Can it be known? Can truths about God be known? And the question of so what? Who cares about truth? Why do we do that? Well, I'd like to argue that we all demand truth in our lives. Uh, the reality is virtually everybody, no matter what they say, really cares about truth. And I'm going to give you some examples of how I think that is true. The first one is with our loved ones. When you think about the people that you care about, nobody wants to be lied to from somebody they're dating or from a parent or a sibling uh, or a grandmother that they actually love them, right? Like you don't want somebody to tell you that they love you if they don't actually do. You actually care if they actually do feel a certain way about you, right? Doctors, when we go to the doctor and they give us a prescription um, or we're gonna have an operation, do you think it matters if they give us the right prescription or the right operation? Yeah, you better believe. We wanna make sure that what they're telling us is actually the truth and they're doing the right things, right? 
If we think about our banks, right? Uh, if you deposit $1,000 into your bank account and you go to the bank and you only have $150 in your bank account and you haven't spent any of it, do you think it matters to you whether or not you actually put $1,000 in? How many of you are like, no, where's the rest of my money? Like, you can't just tell me, well, it's my truth that it's $150 you deposited, right? The re we all know we wanna make sure there's right accounting in that, right? In our court system, we want juries who are going to convict really only the guilty person, right? We expect prosecutors to prosecute people who they actually think are guilty, right? In fact, every lawsuit is based on the idea that something occurred or is occurring that shouldn't be happening because it's not right. Does that make sense? In sports, how many of you guys played sports growing up? Uh, do you care if the refs call a foul and it's not right? No? Now, unless you're like uncompetitive, you're like, yeah, whatever, just give it to them. Most of us care that if I was called fouled or I'm out or something like that, that I really am out, right? Uh, for our employers, um, if you get hired at a job, how many of you guys work right now? Okay, uh, if your employer doesn't pay you what they say they're gonna pay you, do you think you care about that? Yeah, I think we all do, right? We want what they say to be real. Other areas in life. Um, Anybody heard of a nonfiction book? Okay, everybody, right? How can there be nonfiction books and fiction books? There has to be a separation between these two categories, right? Um, if you think about news articles, why is fake news such a big deal? Fake news is such a big deal because everybody on the planet knows that some things are not true. And we want to know what is true, not the lies, right? Doesn't matter what side of the aisle you are on for that. Road signs, medicine bottles, like it could go on and on. If you pick up a medicine bottle, like, and you grab it and you think it's headache medicine, but it's actually rat poisoning on the inside, do you think that mat matters to you? Yeah, you better believe what should be in the bottle should match up with the label, right? We care about truth in many areas, but sometimes, um, people say that we don't really care about truth. So what is truth? Can it be known? Can truth about God be known? So what? Who cares about truth? Well, Christianity claims that there is absolute truth, that truth is true for everyone, everywhere, and at all times. But not only that, it insists that the truth about the world or reality is that which corresponds to the way things really are. Um, and so this is known as an absolutist view, that something is true for everyone, everywhere, at all times, and that is what corresponds to the reality of the world around us. So is that actually a true statement? We're gonna find out. Um, how many of you guys have heard the term epistemology before? Look at you guys. Can anybody define epistemology for me? Nathan? <laughs> anybody else? The study of knowledge is essentially around the idea of how do we know what we know? How do we know what we know to be true? So when we're thinking about what you think about in your brain and how you know something, epistemology is the study of how do we know what that is. And it's all based on something called first principles. Anybody heard of first principles before? First principles of being and logic? Now we're getting really nerdy here, so I expect you all to remember all of this later. No. Uh, first principles are being and logic are essentially things that all thought uh, in reality is based on these things. 
they apply to all of reality, not just some aspect of it, and they are self-evident, meaning you can see them and know them just based on your own ability to perceive things. Once you learn about them, they're obvious in a way that will always show themselves to be true. They're undeniable. Uh, any attempt to deny them would have to use one of these first principles to deny it. Um, and you use these first principles to discover all other truths in life. They're foundational. Um, and they cannot tell us if something is true, but they can tell us whether or not we, uh, they give us a framework to discover what is true. So let me give you a couple of these first principles. Yeah. Is it stock? No. I was like, why is it not advancing? Well, Amazon Music has gotten in the way. Oh, look at that. Okay. All right. So the first principle is the principle of existence. And it just says being is. Being is. And you're like, okay, well, what does that actually mean? Well, it just means that something must exist. And the reason this is undeniable is that in order for somebody to say that something exists, what must that thing be doing? Being, it must exist, right? So there you go, it's very foundational. Something exists, right? Uh, the second principle is the principle of identity, which just says being is being. A being is identical to that being. This sounds really weird, right? But essentially all it means is a thing is identical to itself. Jobo is Jobo, okay? Let me give you an example of this. Um, if you have two characters like A, A equals A most of the time. A is A, B is B, C is C, right? Um, how many of you guys know who wrote uh, Huckleberry Finn? Do you know what his name? Mark Twain. Okay, does anybody know uh, what Mark Twain's real name is? You're about to say it, I can see it. Samuel Clemens, nice work. Can we give it to Bella? Nice work. So, they are the same person. If Mark Twain was born on November 30th of 1835, then what can we conclude about Samuel Clemens? <laughs> that he's dead? Yes, good call, who said that? I like that. Either that or he's very old. No, that uh, Samuel Clemens was also born on November 30th, 1835, right? Okay, the next one is the principle of non-contradiction. Being is not non-being. And this one is really, really important. What this is saying is opposites cannot both be true at the same time and in the same sense. And this is where I think our world gets confused all the time. Something can't be true and false at the same time. So either theists are right about God and God exists, or atheists are right about God and God doesn't exist. But they can't both be true. Does that make sense? There's a medieval Muslim philosopher who said this. His name is Avicenna. He says, anyone who denies the law of non-contradiction should be beaten and burned until he admits that to be beaten is not the same as to not be beaten. <laughs> And to be burned is not the same as to not be burned, right? I love it when somebody just puts it so easy for all of us to get it, right? Like we understand, okay, that's not the same thing, right? So the principle of the next one that we're gonna look at is, um, 
I'm going to get back from the law of non-contradiction, the principle of the excluded middle. Either being or non-being. There's nothing in between. There is either existing or not existing, right? So the difference is that uh, when you're thinking about the law of non-contradiction, it's something can't be both true and false at the same time. The law of the excluded middle is something is either true or it's false. Does that make sense? The last one we're going to look at is the principle of causality. And this is going to come into play in the next couple of weeks. Um, principle of causality. Non-being cannot produce being. So nothing, no thing, cannot cause anything since nothing doesn't even exist. Does that make sense? And what does not exist cannot cause anything. Only something can produce something. Does that make sense? Okay, so uh, something can't just spontaneously cause itself. Nothing can't, can't cause something, essentially. So these first principles of being and logic help us to know that there are actually some foundational stuff that we can start to know about the world around us that you and I can use to perceive what might be true about reality around us. So let me tell you about what truth is not before we go into what truth is. Um, and when we start thinking about the nature of truth, we're going to establish what it is not. And this is often what we see in our culture right now is um, truth is what works. And I'm going to argue that truth is not what works, or this is what's also called a pragmatic view. In other words, just because something works for you, gets you the results that you want, doesn't mean it's right. So to give you an example, just because you lied and you told your teacher, your professor, that you did all of the prescribed reading that you had to attest to doing and you didn't actually do it, doesn't, and that worked for you and you got the grade you wanted, doesn't mean it's actually right. Does that make sense? Truth is not that which coheres. So um, coherence is this idea that things come together and all make sense together. So um, if you think about it, lies can be inter a internally consistent, but they still may not be true. So an example might be, if I'm a detective and I show up at a scene of a robbery, and there's multiple witnesses, and Jobo and Bella and Jeff and Lily all say that, you know what, Caleb robbed the store. All of their stories may cohere together, but if Jared actually robbed the store, it doesn't matter that those, their stories cohere because it's not actually a reflection of what's true. Does that make sense? So just because it coheres doesn't mean it actually is true. Truth is not that which was intended. Often we're like, oh, well, I intended for that to happen, right? And that's, that's really my truth about this, right? Well, let me just think about this. If you intend to write a letter to your grandmother, but you never actually write the letter to your grandmother, did you actually write the letter to your grandmother? No, it doesn't matter how much you intend for that to happen. It doesn't make it true that it actually happened, right? And truth is not what is comprehensive. So this often is the idea that if we look at all the data, um, then we can see that this must be true. While this is actually like a good test to find out what might be true, um, it doesn't actually give us a for sure answer on that something is true. Just because all the data makes sense and it points to one thing doesn't actually mean it's totally true. Does that make sense? 
Okay, and the last one is truth is not what feels good. This is the popular belief that if something gives you a good feeling or a satisfying feeling, that um, it's not wrong. But what we know is that good feelings can often come when we're doing bad things, right? So our feelings are not actually related to whether or not something is actually true. And sometimes what is actually good for us doesn't actually feel very good, right? Sometimes doing the right thing actually feels pretty bad when you're doing it, right? So um, when somebody says what feels good to one person may feel different to another person, these are relative ideas. And truth, I'm going to talk about it in a little bit, cannot be relative. So let's talk about what truth is. Truth is that which corresponds with reality. Truth is that which corresponds to its referent, meaning when you're making a statement and you're referring to something, if I'm referring to Jobo's hat, any statements that I make about Jobo's hat actually have to correspond to the actual properties of his hat, right? Does that make sense? Okay. So truth is that which corresponds to its referent. The truth about reality is what corresponds to the way things really are. Truth is telling it like it actually is. That's just a simple way of saying it. Truth is telling it like it actually is. And then uh, the correspondence truth applies to abstract realities as well as actual ones. So thoughts as well as real physical realities. So falsehood or lies um, is that which does not correspond. It's telling it like it isn't. Does that make sense? It's a misrepresentation of the way things actually are. In order to know whether or not something is true or false, there must be a real difference between things and the statements about those things. Does that kind of make sense? I know this, we're getting into like almost philosophy as we're going through stuff. But a correspondence view is necessary in order to make sense of any statement that we make about life in general. So Christianity, again, claims that there is an absolute truth. It's true for everyone, everywhere, at all times. But not only that, it insists that the truth about the world or reality is that which corresponds to the way things really are. Is that actually true? Well, so often in our culture, we are dealing with people who are under the impression that there is relative truth. And this is the idea that something may be true for one person, but not for another person, or not for all people. Or that it may be true at one time, but not for another. Um, according to the Christian worldview about truth, this cannot be a reality. This cannot be true. So let's think about this a little bit. According to the absolutist view, what is true for one person is true for all person at all times and at all places. So relative truths. Is there such thing as something that's true for one but not for all? Well, I would argue that there are no relative truths. Just uh, every true statement is true for everyone, everywhere, at all times. So if we look at 7 plus 10, what does that equal? 17. 17. 
There we go, you guys are on it, right? Seven plus 10 would be 17. If I did seven plus three, because I read my slide correctly, it would be 10, right? And it's not just true for math majors, nor for elementary students, but it's true for everyone, everywhere, at all times, right? Um, the statement that we hear, all truths are relative, is actually an absolute truth claim. It's actually an absolute truth claim. And so you cannot claim it is absolutely true for everyone, everywhere, that truth is only relative. Does that make sense? I mean, I think you guys, how many of you guys have thought through relative truth stuff before? A good chunk of you guys, okay. Um, you, can, you cannot claim it's only relatively true that relativism is true as well. It's only relatively true that relativism is true, right? If it were relatively true, then relatively, relativism may be false for some or for all others, and therefore it's false altogether, right? So as we're thinking about this a little bit more, either it's absolutely true or, and it's self-defeating, or you can never really make that claim about relative truth. Um, this would lead to a world full of contradictions. So when you think about this, if I made a claim that there is milk in the fridge, um, it either is or it isn't, right? It's not relatively true that milk is in the fridge in this picture. Is that true? Okay, good. All right. If that were the case, we would have no wrongs and no rights ever. No one would ever actually be wrong even when they actually are. And the reality is nobody on this planet lives this way. People say they believe in relative truth, but I don't think they actually mean it. What I think often people confuse is objective truth with subjective truth. So let's talk about that for a second. There are two types of truth. So objective truth is things that are true for all of us, whether we like them or not, okay? It is rooted in the object that we're referring to or that that claim is being made from. Um, and they will always be true or false. Subjective truth are things that are a matter of personal opinion or taste. And so pay attention, because we're going give to give, give you a quiz here in a second. It is rooted in the subject making the claim. Does that make sense between these two, objective and subjective truth? Kind of? OK, let's, let's talk about it for a second. If I made the claim chocolate chip cookies are the best cookies in the world, is that an Objective truth claim or a subjective truth claim? Subjective. Good job, you can read the slide. <laughs> yes, this is just an opinion, so it's subjectively true. Opinions are based in the subject, the person making that claim. It is an, ob an objective truth because it doesn't reside in the cookie itself, right? Um, it resides in the person who's making the claim, right? To know if something is subjective, all you have to do is ask yourself, can my opinion change whether or not it's true? Really simple, can my opinion change whether or not it's true? So let's talk about a couple other examples. Okay, so a few years ago, our family was growing and we needed to buy a different car and we bought a 2004 Toyota Sienna, okay? And now, if I'm so committed to Toyota Siennas that I said Toyota Siennas can drive on wa water, which, by the way, I stole this illustration from Jay Warner Wallace. And if you 
go look at his stuff. It's great online. Buy his books. Check out Cold Case Christianity. He's great. But if I said Toyota Siennas can drive on water, is this a subjective claim or an objective claim? Objective why? Be because it's a fact based on what? The, yeah, what is the object in this statement? The Toyota Sienna, exactly, right? It, it, this is an objective claim, very good. Okay, if I made the statement John's van is green, is this an objective statement or a subjective statement? <laughs> Depending on how your eyes see the light, and thank, thank you, Jordan, you're right. Uh, in general, most people would interpret this as an objective statement. This is a picture of a van like our old one that we had, yes, and it was green. So this would be objectively true or false based on whether or not it was actually green or your eyes perceive it that way. Now, if I said Toyota Siennas are the coolest cars on the planet, is this a subjective or objective claim? Yeah, my wife actually put this on the back, cool minivan, said nobody, right, uh, for a long time. Um, yes, now if I say green is the best color for cars, is this objective or subjective? Subjective, right? If I say one plus one equals two, is this objective or subjective? Objective. objective, right? If you have one pencil in each of your hands and you put them in your pocket, how many pencils would you have in your pocket? Two pencils. Two pencils. It's an object, yes, and a dangerous situation. Maybe, is that what you have? The guys are like, I don't know if I want to do that. Okay. If I say John can do 50 push-ups, is that objective or subjective? Oh, wait, wait. How many of you say objective? How many of you say subjective? Okay. It's an objective truth claim. Either I can or I can't. It's, it's not based on my opinion. My opinion can't change whether or not I can do 50 push-ups, right? Only my actual physical ability can do that. And I'm going to leave you in suspense on that one. Okay. <laughs> Math is the most exciting subject. Objective, subjective? Subjective. subjective. subjective, right? Because why? Can your opinion change it? Yes. yes. Elena, is math the most exciting subject for you? One of them, but not the most, right? So since your opinion can change it, then this is a subjective claim. God exists. Objective. Objective. Right, my opinion cannot change whether or not God actually exists. Christianity is the only true religion, and Jesus is the only way to God. Objective or subjective? Objective, right? Again, my opinion can't change that. Premarital sex is immoral. Objective or subjective? What'd you say? Objective, everybody says objective. Because you're just like, we're in church, we have to say that. That's the right answer. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's objective. Either it is or it isn't, right? Sometimes I think we make the mistake of thinking that there are subjective truths, and because there are subjective truths, all truths function as subjective truths or are relative. Um, that is simply an error in thinking that can lead to devastating results. And so often, if you're in a conversation with somebody and you're talking about truth, when you push them on something, listen to find out, do they go to something that is a matter of opinion 
or something that is actually objectively true or false. Does that make sense? Um, Jay Warner Wallace said this, he said, we need to be certain what we mean by truth. If all truth is relative or subjective, then we are in trouble. If there is a safe falling out of the sky and you deny it, and then you choose to understand, uh, to stand underneath where that safe is falling, you're gonna get crushed, right? Your opinion cannot change whether or not there's a safe falling for, uh, on top of you, right? Does that make sense? So, one of the other objections to truth is that often people say, well, there's just no way for us to have absolute knowledge about things, right? I haven't read every book, I haven't traveled to every country, I haven't listened to every TED talk, and so therefore we can't really know truth because we don't have absolute knowledge of truth. And uh, the reality is that um, the objection is that truth cannot be absolute because we don't know all of it. But even for those of us who are absolute truth believers, as a Christian, I'm an absolute truth believer, I would admit that most things that we know are only known to a degree, to a certain degree of positivity, say like 95%, that based on all of what I know, I know this to a certain degree. So I'm gonna grant in a conversation some level of saying there might be some window of air based on this. But what I'm going for in basing my understanding of my worldview is what makes the most sense of all the information and coheres to the reality that we know of life. And so there are some things that we can know absolutely. And so if there's some things that we can know absolutely, maybe there's more than just some basic things. So we can be absolutely sure that I exist. Even though we have this whole matrix question, are we in a matrix, are we in a machine, is this all some AI generated environment that, that we're living in? I think we can be absolutely certain that I exist, that you exist. I'm absolutely sure that there are no square circles. That falls into the law of non-contradiction, right? I'm absolutely sure that seven plus three equals 10, and that seven plus 10 equals 17, if we think about earlier, right? I can be absolutely sure of some things. One of the other objections to absolute truth is that even with the things that I'm not absolutely certain of, my knowledge of them doesn't change them. So your knowledge of something doesn't change whether or not something is true. Um, as an example, if I made the statement, Monroe is a city in Washington, regardless of my evidence of that, or my knowledge of the city of Monroe, it is absolutely true for everyone everywhere that on July 18th, a city named Monroe exists in the state of Washington. Zach, you work for what city? Okay, <laughs> so we know that Monroe exists as a city as of today, and we can be absolutely sure that it is real and it's true for everyone everywhere. Whether or not people have ever heard of Monroe, does whether or not they've ever heard of Monroe or their knowledge of Monroe change the fact that Monroe absolutely exists? No, right? So evidence or lack thereof does not actually change a fact in reality. 
So a few things to remember. Truth is absolute, but our grasp of it is not. And just because there is absolute truth doesn't mean that we understand all of it absolutely. Uh, This should cause us as absolute truth claimers to temper our convictions with some humility uh, when we're in conversations about things that matter, that we can walk in with a grace um, into some of these things. So for while truth is absolutely as absolute, our understanding of it is not absolute. As finite creatures, we're going to continue to grow in our understanding of truth, right? I would hope that all of us in here grew a little bit tonight, and that next week you grow a little bit more, right? And by the time you're five years down the line, uh, does anybody want to have the same level of knowledge that they have tonight, or would you like to actually learn some other things and acquire some new knowledge? Yeah, hopefully all of you, right, Uh, in some way. What we're thinking about through this series, some of what we're going to be talking about is the idea is the best explanation. What is the best explanation of all the evidence that is here? When we're defining truth, Norman Geisler, who was one of the best apologists in the last hundred years, said this, only one proper way to define truth is in terms of correspondence. Truth is what corresponds to reality or the state of affairs in which it purports to describe. Falsehood is that which does not correspond. A couple of other quick things. Truth is discovered, it's not invented. Uh, Truth exists independent of anyone's knowledge of it. Gravity existed prior to Newton discovering it and naming it, right? Is that true? We understand it didn't just come into being when he realized, oh, this is what it is. It was always there, right? Truth is transcultural. If something is true, it's true for all people in all places at all times. This one is actually a big one because sneakily people are saying, oh, you guys in the West, you think about truth in one way, but if you're in the East, truth is something totally different. That's, that's a, first of all, it's a truth claim, so it's either absolutely true or it's not, right? It can't be relatively true. Um, and in that way, it is actually an absolute claim. Truth is transcultural, applies to everyone everywhere. Truth is also unchanging. Even though our ideas and beliefs about truth may change, like when we began to believe that the earth was round instead of flat, unless you're a flat earther in here, anybody a flat earther in here? Zach, no. (laughs) Uh, What'd you say? It's a cube, it's a cube, yeah. The earth didn't actually change shape when we understood that it was round, did it? It was always round, right? egg shape, whatever you want to call and argue about exactly what the shape of the the earth is, right? So it was true whether or not we understood it. And our beliefs cannot change a fact. This one is another one that I think is really common in our culture and that you saw in that video earlier, is that no matter how sincerely we hold an idea, um, it doesn't impact whether or not something's actually true or not, right? You can sincerely be mistaken, right? Um, There's an old quote, truth is truth even if no one believes it, and a lie is a lie even if everyone believes it, right? And a lie told often enough often can become truth, and I think that's often what we're seeing in our culture right now. Truth is also not affected by our attitude um, of the one professing it. So even 
an arrogant person uh, professing a truth doesn't make that statement false. It could still be true. And a humble person presenting a lie doesn't make that statement true, right? It's true or false regardless of that person's temperament or their attitude. All truths are absolute truths. Again, Christianity claims there's an absolute truth, something that's true for everyone, everywhere, at all times. Um, so a couple of other quick things. Postmodernism. How many of you guys have ta talked about postmodernism? You face that. You've dealt with it. OK. Um, William Lane Craig is a great Christian philosopher. And um, I really like what he has to say about this. He says, essentially, the reality is nobody is a po postmodern believer of truth. Nobody on the planet is. He says this. Most people don't for a minute think there are no objective standards of truth, rationality, or logic. Nobody is a postmodernist when it comes to reading the labels on a medicine bottle. Um, I gave this example earlier versus a box of rat poisoning, right? Um, in the minds of some Christians, since we live in a postmodern culture, they think we should abandon any attempt to commend our faith, that means profess, push, challenge our faith uh, rationally, as a result, um, so let me say that again, we should abandon any attempt to commend our faith rationally as the truth about reality. Instead, we should just share our narrative and invite people to join in. Uh, what he's saying is uh, often people say, don't make an argument for Christianity. Just tell them your story. Just tell them your testimony. Just tell them your experience. Just tell them the feelings that you experienced. That is of value, but that is not all of what we must do as Christians. And here's why. He says, uh, if we just share our narrative and invite people to join in, if I'm right about this, however, this is a suicidal course of action. It will destroy any sense of the church's claim to have the truth about the way the world really is. It, this will be given over to scientific naturalism or atheists, and Christianity will be seen as mere mythology. And I think that's often what the church has allowed to occur for far too long is we're just going to say, we're going to stay here in our holy huddle, and we're just going to have our experiences. If you want to come be a part of our experience, come do that. And we're going to create an awesome experience for you to come in, but we're not always making it clear that we believe there is an absolute truth, and it's true for everybody everywhere, and that Jesus is the one and only way to real life and salvation. And so if we give that up, we're in the case where we will just allow ourselves to become sidelined and seen as a myth. So, so what? Who cares about truth? This came from a guy named Stuart Kelly, and he said this, truth matters for our daily lives. Every day, you depend on things being true or false. The pursuit of truth is correlated when people actually pursue truth with happiness in general. If you're living under false pretenses and lies, you tend to be less happy. Science um, in general, anybody interested in going into science? I know a couple of you guys are. Science is a truth-seeking enterprise. It is all about seeking to understand what is actually true about the world around us, right? Knowledge is a truth-seeking enterprise. If you're going to grow in understanding, that is all about seeking truth. And he makes a case that truth is intrinsically valuable. If Jesus is the truth, 
Knowing him, knowing the truth is deeply valuable for everyone everywhere. Many people believe that all religions lead to the same place and they teach essentially the same things. Is that true? How many of you guys have seen one of these coexist stickers before? Or one of these one love or believe or peace or imagine, right? You know? And, and this is based on the idea that all religions essentially lead to the same place or they can all teach essentially the same things. But the reality is all religions can't be right because they believe very different things about major questions in life, about those worldview questions we started with, right? So let me give you a couple of examples and we're getting ready to wrap up. When we think about uh, religion, it answers questions about the nature of God, the nature of man, about sin, is sin something real? About salvation, is that something that's actually needed? Is heaven a real place? Is hell real? Were we created, right? So Jews, Christians, and Muslims believe in different versions of a theistic God, right? If we think about Hindus and New Agers, they believe that everything exists as part of an impersonal, pantheistic, this force that's all around us, that they call God. Those are two different views. So just those major religions have a conflict on what they believe about God. Can you guys see that? So if we know that in that case, we know that either one of them is true or one of them is false, right? Or one is true and all the others are false. When we think about Hindus, many of them believe evil is just an illusion, while major theistic religions believe that evil is very real. These two things can't be real at the same time and true at the same time. Only Christians believe that people are saved by grace, while many other religions teach in salvation through good works. These are not the same things. Muslims believe that Jesus was not crucified or killed by the Jews. Um, Christians believe that he was. There's two competing views here. You cannot say that all major world religions agree. They don't. So if you ever have a conversation with somebody, are you equipped to explain why that is not true? If somebody pushes you about your faith, are you ready to be able to articulate why Christianity is actually true. There's an old joke about these two guys at a 4th of July bar barbecue. Anybody go to a barbecue on the 4th of July? Okay, these two guys were standing together at a 4th of July barbecue and one guy says to the other, he says, you know, what's the greatest problem in America today? And the guy next to him says, I don't know and I don't care. And the guy goes, exactly. If you ask what's the greatest problem in our church today, and somebody says, I don't know and I don't care, that would also be what we're talking about. Ignorance and apathy. The church for far too long has chosen to be ignorant and we've become apathetic. We accept a lack of knowledge as an okay thing from ourselves. We accept that we don't have to defend our faith. We accept that we shouldn't work to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. And we accept apathy from ourselves. And I would challenge you, don't accept that from yourself. That God, I think, 
expects more of you and that you can grow in your knowledge and in your understanding so that you aren't a person who's like, I don't really know how to answer any of these questions. And I don't know how to articulate these things. If that's you right now, I think we're hoping to help prepare you a little bit more through this series. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reasons for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Speak the truth in love. We have a solid foundation for believing what we believe, and I hope that you'll get to grow and develop that over the next number of weeks as we think through this. This matters because right now, uh, this was a study a couple of years ago that said half of millennial Christians say it's wrong to evangelize. They think that for them to tell other people about Jesus and that Jesus is the only way is wrong. That's half of millennial Christians. People who claim to follow Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have to be able to change that. Hosea 4.6 says this, my people, this is God's talk news, he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. Is that us? If you were in an argument with somebody about your faith right now, a conversation, would they destroy you because you don't know what you're talking about? I'll tell you that at your age, I would have been destroyed. And it's taken a lot of work, uh, but it's been really fun and really confirming for me to study and research and learn and listen to others and seek the truth and grow up in my faith so that I can believe. If I'm going to commit myself to following Jesus all the days of my life, I want to know that it is actually true. Um, and I want to know that I can tell people about it. So my question for you tonight is, are you, are we treating the gospel like it's subjectively true or it's objectively true? Are we treating it like it's subjectively true? It just is true for you and it's your opinion or is it objectively true for everyone everywhere that Jesus is the only way? If Christianity is true, it's unloving to suggest to anyone else that their opposite beliefs are true as well. If Christianity is true, it's unloving to suggest to anyone else that their opposite beliefs are true as well. Norman Geisler said that a number of years ago, and it's always stuck out to me that it's easy for me to want to let other people think that they're right because it doesn't cause conflict or challenge or other things, but it's really unloving if I allow them to think something is true that's not. Does that make sense? The truth exists and it matters. Uh, we're going to be talking next week about how can we know that God exists and what does that mean for our lives. And I think that you'll find as we go through this series, uh, you're going to have your faith strengthened and grown and you'll be more confident about your faith and be able to share your faith with others more boldly and kindly and speak the truth in love. And I think that's going to be really fun for us. Let me pray, and then the worship team is going to come back up. Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for, thank you for the fact that we can actually know your truth, that we can know you, that we can follow you, that we can 
help others to know what is true? Would you give us eyes to see uh, the world around us and to see how much truth actually matters? Would you help us to distinguish between subjective truth and objective truth? Would you give us the courage to stand for objective truth in a way that is loving and kind, that we do that with gentleness and respect? And God, I pray that if we are here and we're treating the gospel like it's subjectively true, that you would challenge us tonight. Would you convict us? Would you remind us that it is It is absolutely true that everyone everywhere is in desperate need of you and your salvation. Would you spur us on in our evangelism and our sharing about you so that people could come to know you because it matters. It is objectively true that if people do not come to know you, if we don't tell others about you, they are facing eternity apart from you, Jesus. Thank you for tonight, Lord. May we celebrate your amazing love that is undeserved for us. May we worship you well in this moment. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.